This is an ABC podcast. Hey there, Ange McCormack with you for the Hack Podcast. What's your go-to karaoke song? How much do you love a big sing-along? Coming up, we're going to talk about the power of live music and why it feels so good to just belt out songs in a group. Plus, there's some fascinating news about how the COVID vaccines can actually affect some people's periods. I'm going to update you with everything you need to know about that story a little bit later on in the podcast. And also later on, we're going to talk about some very exciting news we have about a huge project coming from Hack. We've been working on it for months, so stick around for that. Those stories are coming up on the Hack Podcast. Hack. People are buying boxes of water or buying water filters to, to be able to drink the water. On Triple J. So we all know the cost of living is super high at the moment. Petrol prices are up. Even just getting the basics at the supermarket can cost a bomb. But imagine having to add the cost of water to all of that. Some new research is painting a pretty grim picture about how many Australians don't have access to good, fresh, healthy water out of the tap. It's been an issue for a long time in many small communities, but as Angel Parson reports, Parsons reports, it's about more than just what comes out of the tap, it's about culture and community too. The water is home. Without no water, we can't do nothing and we just don't have enough energy and just the thought of having our river flowing gives us energy. As a kid, did you have a happy place? A lot of Amelia Wyman's best memories are down at the river. I'm Barkinji, Molly Ngapa and Wankamara. When I was younger, the water, like, it was really nice to hang by. It was really mad to spend your day there. Like, there was nothing much better or much funner to do than just sit at the river all day. Amelia's 14. She grew up on Barkinji country in Wilcannia, a small town in New South Wales. It lies along the Barker or Darling River. You might remember hearing about mass fish kills there a couple years back. There have been major issues with the health of the river. At times, it's dried up to just a trickle. And that affects what comes out of the town's taps. Everyone loves the fresh water. Every time it comes on, like, you have people filling up plenty of bubbles. Because like, uh, you never know when the next time the river's going to go and you're going to get disgusted from water and you're going to struggle again. So the water actually turns out to become brown and it's, it's not a nice taste at all. When it gets like that, a lot of residents rely on buying water. So we have to end up spending a lot of more money. So we, we struggle a lot on those type of things and we have to try and save up to buy water, like boxes of waters and bottles. And it's like this in a lot of remote areas. Most people out here buy water in boxes or you get water filters and use those, but hardly anyone drinks from the tap. So there's a lot of waste Ellie moved out to Yundamu in the Northern Territory for work recently and the financial burden of poor water quality is real. And yeah, they do damage to your appliances really regularly. So I had to get a new washing machine when I first got out here because it just destroyed that. In a lot of places, there's a real lack of information about what's in the water and if it meets health guidelines. But some new research is hoping to start bridging that gap. The starting point for this work was a a very simple question, and that was how many people in Australia lack access to to safe, uh, good quality drinking water, uh, particularly in regional remote areas. I I didn't expect that that was going to be a question that would take very long to answer, 
But as it turns out, we, we don't actually document all of our drinking water quality and monitoring um, at the national level. That's Dr Paul Verville. He's with the Australian National University. A study he's been working on was released this week. It's based on water quality data from 2018 to 19. It found 25,000 people across 99 locations with less than 1,000 people were accessing water that didn't comply with health guideline values. Now, if you expand that out to larger towns and also the aesthetic qualities of water, then uh, we identified uh, over 400 locations and at least 620,000 people. He says another really important finding is about data and reporting gaps. And an example of that uh, is New South Wales, where local water utilities in regional areas are not required to provide annual public reports. And we estimated that although there are some utilities that voluntarily report, It's about 1.2 million people in regional New South Wales who don't uh, know what's coming out of their tap water. He says this is the first time we've had a publicly available data set that gives a national overview of where Australia is at with water quality. And Dr Verville says it's just not good enough. And we really need to take our head out of the sand. The study was also trying to identify problems with the aesthetics of water. And this is important because if your water is brown or smells and tastes funny, you're not going to want to use it, are you? That's not something that would be acceptable for people living in capital cities. Uh, There would be a a, a huge outcry. Nasty stuff like E. coli, uranium and nitrate is causing some of these quality issues. So how's that affected the health of residents? Well, it is hard to say. Community concern about water quality is very real in many remote communities in the Northern Territory, WA, and even in the Cape in Queensland. This is Professor Paul Lawton. He's from the Alfred Hospital in Monash Uni in Melbourne. He has over 22 years experience working in the NT as a kidney specialist. He reckons the concerns of the community are definitely worth taking seriously. But it's hard to say at this stage whether or how much water is driving the higher rates of kidney disease and diabetes in these communities. So the question is, Are those excess levels, for example, in the gold fields of WA around uranium excess or in some Northern Territory communities around other heavy metals, are they driving part of the burden of kidney disease or is it other issues that we should invest in, particularly early childhood and antenatal care dealing with housing overcrowding. He says there are so many other factors influencing the health of these communities. We need more research to inform funding decisions. So who's responsible for fixing the issue? Well, it's complex, with some aspects falling to local or state governments, others, like meeting sustainable development goals, that's federal. And people like Amelia Wyman just want you to know this issue is about so much more than just the stuff that comes from the tap. It may look like a cup of water sitting on the bench, but in reality... It's a home for people, like along the river is where we live. Even though we're in the town, home is always where the river lies. Hack on Triple J. That was Angel Parsons there with that story. Hack. If you have a funny period after the vaccine, this is not something that we think is going to bother you for the rest of your life. On Triple J. Have you noticed any changes in your period since getting the COVID vaccine? Well, a massive study into this has just come out. It looked at the cycles of about 40,000 people. And it turns out that 
yeah, a lot of people, about 40%, said there was a change in their period after getting vaccinated. I want to hear from you. Have you noticed changes in your period during COVID after getting vaccinated? Text me 0439 757 or call me 1300 555 Susie Wiles is an Associate Professor at the University of, of Auckland. She's had a close look at this study. Susie, thanks so much for joining me on Triple J. Oh, my pleasure. Susie, let's get into the big top line findings of this study that has been released this week about um, COVID vaccines, COVID and periods. Uh, what what data did they look at from these 40,000 people? How did the COVID vaccine affect their periods? So this was an online survey and it was uh, released in April 2021. Um, and this is the first paper from that that survey, um, looking at the first three months of data. So it's basically when those um, vaccines were really first uh, being uh, rolled out. Um, And really what they were asking people was, how did this impact on your periods? And so um, the the big take-home message is that 42% of the people who who answered said they had a heavier flow, um, and 43% said nothing happened. And the people who um, had a heavier flow were much more likely to be older, um, much more likely to have had a fever or fatigue after their vaccine, so, you know, mounted a really vigorous immune response. Uh, Or uh, somebody who's um, uh, had been pregnant or had had a baby, as well as people who have um, endometriosis or have endometriosis, um, fibroids and polycystic ovary syndrome, um, they were also more likely to say that they had had um, a heavier heavier flow. Basically, after vaccination, you know, people who did have a disrupted period, it was quite likely to have kind of gone back to normal within a couple of cycles. Right. Okay. So it really looks like um, vaccination does impact your period, but it's it's all to do with, you know, the fact that your immune response has been stimulated. Mm. And, and it can affect your period. It's, as we said there in, in those findings, um, just as many people in that study found that they didn't have an effect to their period. Yeah, what's also, I guess, really interesting um, about this study is that they also asked for, um, you know, people who were on like long-term kind of contraception or people who'd been through the menopause or people who are receiving um, therapies Uh, like gender affirming therapies that suppress periods, ask them what their experience was too. And for those kind of people, um, they often had breakthrough breathing. And this is, it's really important to know that, right? Because if you're somebody who doesn't normally have a period and then you suddenly have one after, you know, you've, uh, you, um, after you've been vaccinated, it's really important that you know that that's a possibility rather than thinking that something's really wrong with you, right? Mm. And and what did the study find about how periods were triggered after a COVID vaccine in that did were some people finding that their periods came early after having their vaccine or maybe they were delayed after having their vaccine? That's the, the study didn't really look into that um, huge amounts. There's been a few other studies that have looked into that that were using like period trackers um, and uh, it seems a little bit all over the place. So some people seems like their periods were shifted by a few days a small number of people had their period kind of shifted by eight days which is something that doctors would consider you know medically important but as I say the those studies also showed that people kind of went back to normal within a couple of cycles so it definitely disrupts things um but the other thing that's really interesting when you start looking into this uh this sort of area is that there's been a couple of studies in the past that have looked at other vaccines and have found a very similar finding And the first one that we can find goes back over 100 years. And it was a study in America of um, nurses 
being vaccinated against typhoid. And there's a doctor who's written a study who was basically tracking these nurses' periods um, and showed the same thing, that the typhoid vaccine disrupted those too. Right. So this definitely looks like something to do with vaccines in general and stimulating your immune response rather than anything to do with the COVID vaccine in particular. I see, because that's a really important point. There is a lot of, you know, the discussion around COVID vaccines in the past couple of years has become obviously a real target for the anti-vaccination campaign and, and particularly like there's been a focus on the COVID vaccines. But what you're saying there is that this is just a fairly uh, common or, or potentially a fairly common response to vaccination in general, which might be both comforting and maybe not comforting for some people listening. But at, at least it shows that, you know, it's, it's not totally abnormal that this is happening. I think actually we should think of it as comforting. So it's telling us that when you stimulate the immune response, you know, stuff happens to your body. And and one of the disruptions that can happen is to your menstrual cycle. So I think that's comforting to know, especially since the data shows that it gets back to normal, you know, know, within a, a few months. I think what it does highlight, though, is that nobody... This isn't something that's really commonly known, right? It mm. wasn't something that was, um, you know, that was part of the clinical trials. Nobody was asking these kinds of questions. It took researchers to say, hey, like, I've just experienced this thing. Did anyone else experience this? And then start doing surveys to find the answer out. And I think what that tells you is about what, you know, what people think, <laughs> what the people running these trials think about, you know, the health of people who have periods, right? Yeah. I mean, it's something that's kind of neglected. You're listening to Hack on Triple J. I'm Ange McCormack and I'm talking to Associate Professor Susie Wiles about this really interesting study into how COVID vaccines can affect some people's periods. The Triple J text line is going off with so many stories about this. Olive, you say, I have the Implanon in my arm, which is a contraception, uh, contraceptive, sorry, and I normally don't get my period. I noticed after my booster shot that I had my period the next two months. Someone else says, thanks for talking about this. I found out from speaking with my friends that nearly all of us had distinct changes to our period. And someone else says three vaccines, never had COVID and no change to my period. So there's so many different experiences here. And that really lines up with what this study is saying about how some people really are affected and some people totally aren't. But let's just go back to Susie. Um, Susie, just to be clear, while some people did say there were changes to their periods, those changes were just temporary and they typically weren't severe. And none of those changes impacted people's fertility or health in a broader sense, right? Yeah, none of the studies that we have have found any impacts like that. So this really is just a a temporary thing that people need to know about. What I was really blown about when when I was reading the study and then reading a little bit more about COVID itself is actually, you know, despite the millions of people who've now have COVID, we know even less about how COVID impacts on, on people's period. And after writing about the study, I've had loads of emails from people going, actually, no, I had COVID, whatever it was, several months ago and it really disrupted my period and it's still not back to normal so I think this again is to do with the the immune system right is that our immune system you know when we get an illness it's often impacted but the the worry here is is whether these changes might be um you know if not long term might be longer so that's something I think we really need to be studying. And so it's really interesting that, you know, the lots of the focus has been on how are the vaccines, you know, doing, as opposed to actually what is this illness doing to mm. people? And when I looked into it, there's like literally two or three studies on just a few thousand people. Um, and so I would really like to see studies like this one done on, on, the, on the vaccines 
I would love to see something like that done for people who have COVID so they can report what's actually happening to them and how long that lasts for. Yeah, that would be absolutely fascinating research. Um, Susie, a lot of people listening right now might be um, thinking about their fourth dose or maybe it's time for their third dose. They might be hearing uh, this information about the vaccine potentially changing their periods and getting a bit worried. Uh, What's your message to them about people who are about to get another vaccination? I would say it's not something to be concerned about. It's just something to be mindful of so that you know, you know, your next period um, may well be heavier. It may well come slightly earlier or be delayed um, just to be aware of that um, so that you're not taken by surprise. But we know that these vaccines, you know, are really good. And so I would still be um, urging people to get vaccinated. The benefits of vaccination far, far outweigh what might happen with your period, basically. Absolutely. And just finally, Susie, if someone does have a change to their period, say after the vaccine, sure, but also just in their regular cycle, regular life, you know, not not talking about vaccines here, when should someone become concerned about that? When is it worth, you know, chatting to your doctor about, hey, this is, has happened to my period and I don't know why? Oh, look, I would say if you've had changes for more than a couple of months, it's always a good idea to go, you know, get in touch with your doctor and talk to them about it. Because, the, you know, we want to be catching serious health issues like, you know, uterine cancers or any of those kinds of things um, really early. And they can often manifest in that way. So it's so much easier just to get checked out, right, and find out that it's nothing than to leave it for months and months. And then it, and it turns out to be something really serious. Susie, thanks so much for joining me today on Triple J. My pleasure. Hack on Triple J. That was Susie Wiles there from Auckland University getting so many texts on on this topic. It's so interesting. Someone says, I didn't get my period for nine weeks after I was fully vaccinated. It was crazy. Someone else says four months of period changes after my third dose, especially as we said in that topic there, you know, if you are having long changes to your period, it's probably worth heading to your doctor and seeing if everything's okay. And someone else says, I completely missed a period after every COVID vaccine, three in total. Yeah, I don't want to jinx it, but live music and festivals are finally back. And seeing your favourite band up close is obviously so amazing, but what makes live music so special, I reckon, is the crowd. The energy of being surrounded by people who love the same music that you do is so special, and there's nothing like singing, doing a massive sing-along. If you're seeing live music this weekend, maybe it's Splendor, how does belting out a song, singing along make you feel? What do you love about it? Text me, 0439 75755. I want to know why singing in a big group makes us feel so good and also get some singing tips while we're at it. Astrid Jorgensen is the founder of Pub Choir. They're an event that basically puts on massive sing-alongs in pubs and venues. It's very wholesome. The videos of Pub Choir are amazing if you haven't seen them. Astrid, love your work. Uh, What is it about singing in a group that feels so good? Oh, man, singing is so good. And it's like the cheapest therapy that you can find. (laughs) Um, Because, I mean, essentially, if you want to start singing, you just have to open your face and make some noise. Like, you just begin. It is that simple. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it really is that simple. We've been overthinking it, I think. I mean, like, singing, there's there's so much research out there about, like, it's 
literally good for your immune system and for your mental health, but also it just feels really like primal to let out a couple of yells. Think about the years that we've all been having, <laughs> the time that we've all been having recently. It's going to feel so good to just get with a bunch of strangers. And to me, the sound of people singing together is the sound of people agreeing. And I think that <laughs> feels really good to kind of share thing. that. Yeah, yeah in I, our world I think of, I rate it. Yeah, lots of divisive opinions out there sometimes. It's nice to just have that sense of community, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's nothing that feels better than like going to see your favourite act, as you say, Splendours on the weekend, going to your favourite artist and then waiting for that big hit that you know all the words to and then sharing that moment with everyone in the crowd. It really, it's more than entertainment. It can kind of heal you in a, in a low-key way. It'll make you feel yeah. better, I promise. Yeah. 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 Can you describe how singing like that can really go beyond boosting your mood? It can you can also, you know, go to your self-esteem, your confidence, your happiness. Like how have you seen it change someone's day or even, you know, a, a bigger part of someone's life at Pub Choir? Yeah. So, I mean, like even for instance, last night we had a really big show in Brisbane for Pub Choir. We had 600 people come along to the Triffid in Brisbane. Mm. And as I was standing out there, as people were leaving out the door, like one person burst into tears we were just like holding hands outside this venue and she was like it feels incredible to have this release like I think um I think for a lot of people it's difficult to know how to channel your energy or maybe even your anxieties in life like it's difficult to express yourself sometimes and music can really kind of tap into that thing that can be hard to say in words And you can really kind of channel just the feeling that you have in life or what you want to express from yourself. And the really amazing thing about singing is, like, it's literally unique to you. There Mm. is no other person in the world that sings exactly the same as you. (laughs) Sometimes that might be, like, funny. Probably probably (laughs) a good thing for a lot of us. (laughs) Yeah, might come out a bit wonky. But, like, I really want to get out there that who cares if you're not the best? Like, are you realistically the best at anything? I think once you can kind of get rid of the idea that it's, a, it's not a competition. That's so true. A lot of people like really strive for perfection in that. They're like, oh, I don't want to sing because I'm not the best. It's like, well, yeah, you're not the best at a lot of things, but you still do them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like don't let not being the best stop you from living your average dream. <laughs> you know? um, and I think like it's weird how people put music into a category separate to other skills. Like, you know, you probably cook and you're not a Michelin star chef either. You know, like think of music making as something that's an experience to be gained. I always say it my pub choir show it's not about being the best but feeling the best Mm -hmm. and if you can get that you can get that hit from singing in a crowd um, along to your favorite musician then that's cheap therapy (laughs) absolutely you're listening to hack on triple j i'm Ange mccormack filling in for dave marchese and we're talking about basically the joy of singing and how amazing it is in a big crowd. I'm with Astrid Jorgensen from Pub Choir. Uh, On the Triple J text line, someone says, I went to a concert recently and took a moment just to look around and embrace the atmosphere, everyone belting out our favourite songs. It made me appreciate the show even more. Someone else says, strangely, when people sing in a group, everybody's heart rate goes into sync. How strange, huh? Is that? Do you know if that's true, Astrid? Yeah, no, there is actually like there's so much research out there about the physical benefits of singing. And I think that that is my, also my personal favorite fact is mm. that because when you're in that group and you're all sharing the song, you'll often be breathing at the same time as the people around you and exerting yourself mm. physically in a similar kind of way. And they have shown, they've like hooked up heart monitors to choirs and shown that throughout a performance, 
they literally, like on a cellular level, their yeah, heart beats synchronizing. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Like this is like more than just words, like it's actual connection on this really like deep Biological, level with other people. Molecular, love it. Level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, yeah, it's yeah. deep. And it's not just for like professional musicians, like anyone who opens their face with other people and makes some singing noises, you yes. get the benefits too. I think yeah. that's something I really want people to know. It's not just for the elite. Singing belongs to everyone and everyone can have the benefits if you're willing to just like dive in. Mm. So if you're in a crowd at Splendour at a gig on the weekend and you're feeling those tingles, it's literally probably because you're all in sync with each other. So remember yeah, that, well, everyone. There could be some other substances, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Mostly, mostly <laughs> don't encourage. Um, Astrid, you were recently contacted by the one and only Kate Bush. She's a fan of pub choir. Tell me about that. Look, that's pretty wild. I mean, I'd like to claim that she's my close personal friend, but I got <laughs> yes. one email and, you know, that's more than enough for me. Hey, um, you're now yeah, on email like, basis. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's big. It's No complaints. <laughs> I mean, at every show that we do, we pick a song that I think, I hope that people will enjoy. And, of course, the song of the moment is Kate Bush running up that hill. So I, you know, got 1,600 people together in Brisbane. They were just strangers having a lovely time agreeing for an evening singing this song and we learnt kind of some special harmonies and we always video the show because I want people to experience the feeling of music making and not to have their phone out while it's happening. Like, you can. I'm not going to get down there and steal your phone. But, you know, it's really nice for people to be in the moment and we film it and then we sent the video to her and she wrote back. Like, uh, Kate Bush does not have to send me an email. No, she of <laughs> yeah, course like, she doesn't. But she saw your the performance of it and was so moved that she wrote back. Like, what did she say? Yeah, I should really have it memorised by now because it is the best email I've ever had. But, I mean, it was along the lines, I know the phrase, utterly, utterly wonderful, and that she really loved seeing the smiles on people's faces. And that's really what we're talking about this whole time is just that when you see people having that shared experience through music and especially through singing, you can see it on people's faces. It's like emotional, physical, possibly spiritual. I don't want to get too deep, but, you know, like even to someone like Kate Bush, you know, it's it's special. It it's means special something. for all of us. Yeah, we all share this thing. <laughs> On the Triple J text line, someone says, I love how passionate Astrid is. So you've got some fans there. And someone else says, are these in all the states? This sounds amazing. I want to join. Astrid, just quickly, Pub Choir. How do people find out more information about yeah. that? Head to pubquiet.com.au. We just type the word pub choir into a search engine. We're the OG and we're traveling around the country in November. And I love your voice, no matter how dodgy it is. <laughs> Come and let out some yells or, you know, find any gig and have a lovely time. Absolutely amazing. Astrid, thanks so much for joining us. And yeah, thanks for your passion about singing. We love it. Anytime. Love singing. See ya. <laughs> That's Astrid Jorgensen there from Pub Choir. And so many texts coming in. Steve from Bundjalung Country says, if you're hearing music during an event, your brain is hardwired to remember that event forever. Isn't that amazing? All right, let's keep moving. Hi. Triple J is taking you to Splendor in the Grass. On Triple J. Yeah, everyone's very keen for Splendor. Whether you're going or listening in on Triple J, the headliners are going to be huge. Gorillas, The Strokes, Tyler. But one headliner, pretty huge, you actually might have missed, is our very own hack reporter, Joe Lauder. Joe, you're on the bloody Splendor lineup. Tell me more. What are you doing at Splendor? I'm sorry to say to Astrid, I'm not singing. I'm only oh, singing in the crowd. But everyone's voice but, um, is beautiful, Joe. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, mine is too, but only in the crowd. 
Um, no, it's really exciting. I'm actually going to be hosting a panel in the forum um, on Sunday and we're going to be talking about climate solutions. Yeah, for people that don't know, um, Slender doesn't just have music. There's also heaps of amazing talks and there's events and comedy. So yeah, we're going to be hanging out. We're going to be talking about climate solutions and also chatting to people about what their ideas are for how we should fix the climate problem. Oh, big, big problem to fix. Um, <laughs> so you're hosting the panel. Who's joining you and yeah, what are you really going to get in the weeds about? Yeah, so we've got an amazing lineup. Um, we've got Anjali Sharma, who, if people don't know the name, she's a teenager who sued the government over climate change and the previous environment minister. We've also got Jake Taylor, who's the lead singer of a band called In Hearts Wake. And they're going to be screening their doco as well, which is all about their environmentalism and about how they made a carbon neutral album. Then we've also got an IPCC author, Dr. Joanna Nalu, with us. And also um, someone else, Dr. Amanda Carl, who runs a group called The Next Economy. And they're amazing. They work with regional communities that are like traditional industrial communities and helping them to transition. So, yeah, lots of different perspectives on climate solutions. Stacked. And so the name of this event is called Who's Going to Save Us? Which, big news, is also the name of something very special at Hack that we've been working on, you in particular. Tell us this big news. Yeah, this is so exciting. I'm really pumped to tell people. Um, we're working on a special podcast at the moment that is called Who's Going to Save Us? And this is a collaboration with Hack and ABC Science. It's all about climate solutions. And it's really also, it's all about the people who are really driving this and who are fighting for climate solutions and just the amazing Australians out there who are helping us navigate our way, you know, to this greener future. Amazing, amazing. And just back to Splendor, can you remind us where you're going to be hosting the panel and where when it is? <laughs> yeah, so the panel's on at 11.30 on Sunday in the forum, which is where there's a forum, there's also the comedy stuff. We're also going to be hanging out every day at the science tent. We're going to be chatting to people about their climate solutions, like if they had the keys to the kingdom, like what they'd be doing to solve climate change. Um, mm -hmm. If you see me hanging out with a mic, definitely come say hi. Tell me what your climate solution is. Amazing, amazing. And on our podcast, who's going to save us? When is it? When can people get excited about downloading that? It's going to be coming out in late August and then it's going to be coming out weekly and you'll definitely be hearing more about it on Hack. But, yeah, it's so exciting. It's, like, made me, like, super more excited and optimistic Hopeful. about all of this. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, it's great. Amazing. There's so many legends on it. Amazing work. Thanks so much for updating us, Joe, and we'll see you at Splendor. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Hack on Triple J. That's Hack reporter Joe Lauder there talking about our very exciting new project that's coming up in a few months, our brand new podcast called Who's Gonna Save Us? It's all about climate change and solutions. So watch out for that one. That's all we've got time for on this episode and we won't have an episode for you tomorrow because of Splendour in the Grass taking over Triple J all weekend. So make sure you download the Triple J app and listen to all of the live sets that we're going to be bringing you and we'll be back with you on Monday.